to another episode of the Cycling Tips Podcast. I am Abby Mickey, and I am here with the usual crew. Dane Cash, if you could be any superhero, who would it be? Ooh, um, uh, Spider-Man's my favorite superhero, so I think I'd be Spider-Man, probably. Yeah. James? I don't have a favorite superhero. I don't believe in that crap. No. To, to be fair, I don't believe in, like, I don't think Spider-Man is real. I don't believe in superheroes. It doesn't mean I don't, you know, enjoy watching movies or comics. They're two separate things there. That, that is true. That's very true. I don't, I don't think I have a favorite. I really don't. Dave, if you could be, Dave, Shoddy, if you could be any superhero, who would it be? Honestly, I've thought about this many times over my life and I'd struggle I like the idea of Batman, but I don't like his backstory, losing his parents. Superman's good powers, but come off it, he's a bit of a boy scout. So I'm just going to go, I'll go Wolverine today. Good day. Kaylee, what's your superhero of choice? Mm, I think I'd be Aquaman. Hmm. Shoot water out of my hands. You don't have the upper body for it. I know. (laughs) I know. I know very little about superheroes, I will admit. Uh, all right, I guess if I have to pick one, I'd have to go with Iron Man because he has all the gadgets. <laughs> yeah. He does have the gadgets. That's a good yeah. one for you, James. I think. As a tech person, that's an unsurprising choice for you. <laughs> 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 all right. Should we get into the episode? We should get into the episode. Wait, what about you, Abby? We, you, you can tell us. Mm, it's a hard pick between Captain Marvel and Mystique. Mm. Captain Marvel's kind of a badass. Let's get with anyway. bike racing. <laughs> Sorry. So Before we I just get into looked up the, a list of superheroes and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are in there. So I want to be one of them. Ooh, if they count, I mean, that, that changes everything. <laughs> oh, that changes the God. game. All right. That's, that's enough. That's enough. <clears throat> I've really started us down a rabbit hole. I'm sorry. Before we get into the episode, let's learn a little bit about Continental. Shadi, what have you got for us? Choosing which tyre is right for you can be challenging, especially with so many options available on Continental's website. They have a nifty guide to picking out your tyres, perfect tyres in fact. Choose between race, mountain, gravel and cross or urban tyres and it will direct you to a series of options to narrow down your choices. Do you want road tyres specifically for indoor training? Then their home trainer is perfect. If you're more interested in riding outside, they give you an option of rolling resistance, puncture protection, even weight. To find out what tyre is right for you, check out continentaltires.com and select tyres from the drop-down menu. Again, massive thanks to Continental for supporting this episode. Right, I'm going to jump on their website. All right, so let's get into it. Dane, what's the news? The news is that... The Itzulia Basque Country, which is the relatively recently named former Vuelta al País Vasco or Tour of the Basque Country, uh, was quite a good race. It, it kind of reminded me, I think I mentioned this after uh, Kent Levelgum a few weeks back, when uh, Wad van Aert won the race in a sprint. If you just, if you just look at the results uh, for the Itzulia Basque Country, you might think, oh, that turned out about how I would have expected, because Primus Roglic won the race. But it actually was quite a journey to get across those six stages. And uh, yeah, I think we learned a lot about a, a few different riders over the course of the week in the Basque Country. Uh, you'll recall two weeks ago, we had the Volta Catalunya where Ineos swept the podium. And uh, yeah, there was a lot of, oh man, Ineos dominating again. This is, I don't know how I feel about this. 
But Primoz Roglic and Tadej Pogacar were not at that race. And when they raced and decided that they really wanted to, uh, to contend, they made it really interesting at the Basque Country and reminded us that who, who really is sort of top of the, of the stage racing hierarchy at the moment. Uh, so yeah, great race in the Basque Country. Started off with Roglic taking a, a time trial win, and he held the jersey for a little while. Uh, but then Brandon McNulty, American, Brandon McNulty, took over the race lead. First time in a while we've seen an American leading a world tour race outside of Europe, or in Europe. Uh, we had TJ Van Garderen has had led uh, Tour of California twice, uh, but actually in Europe, not in an American race. The, the last time, it, it, it's been a while since an American led a world tour stage race. Like Talansky? Talansky at Dauphiné? Was that the last one? He certainly was the last one to win. I don't know if he was the last one to lead. Yeah. Listeners can maybe, can maybe tell us that, yeah. I believe the last American to be leading a world tour stage race in Europe was Ruth Winder at the Giro Rosa in 2018. Corinne Rivera won the OO Energy Tour in 2018 as well, but that was like a month before the Giro Rosa. So as far as the most recent leading of a world tour race in Europe. Yeah, but the American women are actually good at bike racing. No offense to the American <laughs> men. So we... We don't, we don't have to cast very far back for them. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately for McNulty, his lead did not hold all the way through. He made it to the final stage uh, with, with, the, with the lead. And then the final stage is quite a challenging one with some very steep climbs. And McNulty's a good climber, uh, but maybe not the best on the really steep stuff. And thanks to some, some tactical situations, Primus Roglic had some help kind of forcing a split and and uh, getting up the road with some strong companions and forced uh, Brandon McNulty and his teammate, a guy named Tade Pogacar, uh, who is the reigning Tour de France champion, uh, who had been sitting w well in the GC, but was not you know, wearing the leader's jersey, uh, worked for McNulty. He pulled for seemingly an eternity. I mean, it was just Pogacar on the front for a really long time, trying to help McNulty get back up unsuccessfully McNulty ended up kind of fading and then uh, Pogacar just decided to keep pulling on for himself and try to get his own result so Roglic ended up taking back the, the jersey and pretty convincingly winning the race with his teammate Jonas Vingegaard uh coming in second but Pogacar ended up on the final podium despite having pulled this Herculean effort for McNulty for quite a long time in that final stage so again final podium Roglic Vingegaard Pogacar not a super surprise but the way that it turned out was quite entertaining we had lead changes we had back and forth between Roglic and Pogacar. We had McNulty looking like maybe he could hold on. Uh, it ended up being a great race. And at the end of it, I think the, the real takeaway for me was, yeah, when, when Roglic and Pogacar are on and when they're interested in a, in a goal, it's really hard to deny them of that. You know, Adam Yates and the rest of the Ineos squad looked great at Catalonia, but there was really no touching Roglic uh, at the Basque Country. So I think that's what we're going to see for the next couple of months here. Uh, I wrote about it over on the website. You can check that out. But I think uh, Tour de France, there's, there's a pretty good reason why Roglic and Pogacar are far and away the top two favorites for this year's tour. Nobody else is really close for the odds makers right now. Yeah, when they, when they really turned it up on the last stage there, uh, or second to last stage, it wasn't even really close. It really wasn't. And uh, there's a couple sort of tactical things here. One, Jumbo Visma came in with kind of a young team, a relatively inexperienced team. And I think that that's part of the reason why they we're perfectly happy to have McNulty leading the race, uh, have UAE have to sort of control much of the race and then have to defend. Uh, and it worked out perfectly for them. And UAE kind of made a calculation at the end there. There was some debate over whether Pogacar just missed this split or whether he had been pulled back 
to help McNulty. I'm very much in the latter camp. I think Pogacar proved with the following 50 kilometers that he was plenty strong to make that split on his own if he had not been told to wait for McNulty or not decided to wait for McNulty. But he did. He waited before his uh, his young American team leader there uh, and put in a really, really impressive 50K. I mean, basically just pulled for 50K. Uh, and then also in the final climbs of the day, after pulling for 50K, proceeded to drop most of his other GC uh, contenders. He's it dropped Gates, dropped a bunch of other guys. Uh, yeah, just a super, super impressive ride from both Pogacar. And then on Roglic's side, a very astute, tactical, patient ride that allowed him to basically ride off the back of an attack from Astana and Movistar into the leader's jersey. So truly impressive from both of those riders over the weekend. You also saw on stage three there was a, a, a very steep finale, and they just, both of them attacked, 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 and uh, finally got away after attacking multiple times, and, and Pogacar took the stage win. Uh, but, but yeah, w- when they really wanted to, it was clear they, they could just take control of this race and kind of do what they wanted, and the rest of the field couldn't really hang. And I think, you know, we're not going to really see them in stage races again for a little while. They're both going to the Ardennes for, for now, uh, so I, I guess it'll probably be until the Dauphiné. Um, not certain on that, but it'll be a while. But just even in the intervening months in between here and June, uh, just don't, don't be surprised when they come, come out guns blazing at the Dauphiné and the Tour de France because they really are. I think they're just uh, head and shoulders above the crowd. That said, uh, nice performance from McNulty there. Uh, his time trial was great. He was w- like one and a half seconds short of Roglic in the time trial. Really nearly won that time trial. And then, yeah, he didn't hold on to the jersey and actually didn't even finish in the top 10. But he did race pretty well over the course of the week. Uh, basically had that bad day in the end on a course that really didn't suit him. And I think it was a, a promising showing for the future. I think that t- he's always going to be time trials first. That's always going to be his kind of main uh, uh, springboard to any success he's going to have. So any race where there's going to be a lot of time trialing, you could see him up there and certainly in contention for the time trial stage wins, if not for the overalls. Uh, he's going to be at the Giro this year. So it'll be interesting to see how he goes in that race, which relative to the Tour has, has time trial mileage this year, although the Tour and the Giro don't really do time trials anymore. It's not like the 90s. Uh, but yeah, relative to the Tour, there are some time trial miles at the Giro, so McDulty could could have a shot there. It's because time trials are boring, Dane. I mean, yeah, I'm not really complaining. Uh, McNulty, McNulty probably doesn't love it, but yeah. Every time I say that, I get, a, I get a bunch of hate on Twitter, mostly from our British listeners who love a good time trial. And mm. I appreciate your love of a good time trial, but I do not share it. And so I will, I'm sticking with my opinion here that time trials, for the most part, are boring. <laughs> Someday we'll bring back CT debates and we'll have Ronan debate you on that topic. Yeah, that would be great. I don't know what it's like in Ireland, though, actually, for time trialing. I grew up time trialing at an early age, like 14, 15, on dual carriageways. Now, it's, I don't know what the scene's like, but back then it was awesome. So, yeah, we've got to get you over to the UK, Kaylee, once all this has calmed down and show you what real time trialing's all about. Nah, I'm all right. Or <laughs> get you to the Basque region, that's even better, because I went to the race. I yeah, got, how was I got it? To, Oh, man, it was lovely to get to a bike race. I've not been to one since the Tour de France uh, the first week with Abby and um, our video guy, Phil. And it was just, it was lovely, but my word, was it weird. There was, like, hardly any fans there, obviously just the Basque fans there, but they obviously make up for it. But even so, it was really subdued. 
It's going to be a video on YouTube probably once this is up on wherever you get your podcast, it'll be on YouTube, so go check that out. But yeah, it was weird because it felt quite numb in places. Mm. Yeah, upsetting quite, a little bit. Not quite back to normal yet. We'll get there. Not at all, far from it. All right, anything else from the Basque country or should we move on to the tour of Turkey? Yeah, I think we can move on. All right. So what's going on in Turkey? Well, the big thing going on in Turkey is that Mark Cavendish has won a bike race. Mark Cavendish yeah. won the second stage of the Tour of Turkey. It's the first time he has won a bike race since 2018 when he won a stage at the Dubai Tour. That's been more than three years. Of course, Cav you know, battled some health issues in his latter years with dementia data. Went to Byron McLaren last year. Did not finish uh, inside the top 10 of any race uh, or you know, stage of any race last year talked about retiring at the end of the year. We thought that that might happen. And then instead, he signed with Zakun and Quickstep, which is a team that he'd ridden for before. And he went out and won a race today. Uh, well, today, it's Monday when we're recording this. So he went out and won a race on Monday, stage two of the Tour of Turkey. And although it's the Tour of Turkey, so maybe not the biggest race in the world, he did beat Jasper Philipson and Andre Greipel. So there are certainly names there. Philipson's pretty speedy these days. And Cav took the win anyway. He and he'd kind of been hinting that he was on form for this. I mean, he was second uh, on two different races and third at Shelterprace uh, in the run-up to this. But uh, obviously a pretty emotional day for Cavendish. Uh, it's been a long time, not just since he won. I mean, yeah, three, and a half, three years plus since he won. And more than that, since he really contended at, at a very high level. Uh, it's been quite a while. And I think a lot of people, um, and reasonably so, had kind of, given up on Cavendish's chances of continuing to be a contender in the sprints uh, because it had been so long. But he went out today and, yeah, with, uh, with the help of a nice setup from Dakota Quickstep who put him uh, into a nice position. They, they didn't, it wasn't as if he uh, had you know, a textbook lead out and didn't have to do anything. Uh, he was just in a good position and managed to pull past Jasper Philipson and Andre Greipel for the win. So I'm interested to know what the team is going to do with him next, uh, where, where they'll send him next because Cav is... Yeah, I guess he's on form. And, you know, they have this sort of, they have all these sprinters. They have an abundance of sprint talent. Uh, and so you wonder how they're going to kind of spread that around and where they're going to send Cavendish and, and if he's really going to continue to actually contend in bigger and bigger races. I don't think that this is kind of a one-off win for him. I, I think we'll see him win a couple more times in the future. I mean, depending on where he races and, and the makeup of Dakota Quickstep at the races he's at. Because he's he did get second twice leading up to this. so. His sprinting form has been there, like we've talked about in the past when it comes to sprinting, when a sprinter is on a roll like that with two second places in a first place, he tends to keep, he, she, they tend to keep rolling in that way. You know, the, the wins build on each other. So yeah, I can't wait to see him sprint against some of the, some of the bigger guys at, at some races in the future. His jump looked really good. I mean, he accelerated really hard in that last, like, 100 meters or so. Uh, you know, and if you'd asked me a couple days ago, I would have given him a snowball's chance in Turkey of winning a sprint, Ooh, I think, nice. this week. Oh, that's a good time. <laughs> I actually would have given him much more than a snowball's chance in Turkey, but I just, I had to say that. I couldn't not 
Sorry, I apologize. <laughs> I just want to I just want to point out that there was a snowstorm uh, on the opening stage of the tour of Turkey. And, um, and Kelly, I, I do I do want to say it does it does snow in Turkey. So I mean, if if you say that he stands a snowball's chance in Turkey, that that actually pretty good chances. That's I mean, stage chance, one yeah. got snowed out. That's why I said yeah, stage it. one. I was, yeah, I was yeah. making a terrible terrible joke, uh, yeah. and I was hoping to just continue on afterward. But as with all of my best jokes, I must then discuss how great it was right afterward. As right. as. Is <laughs> Uh, Kavanish, not the only Dakota Quick Step sprinter uh, making waves, making news through Turkey. The other big news from through Turkey is that Fabio Jakobsen returned to racing. Uh, fellow Dakota Quick Step rider Jakobsen, of course, had not raced since early August of last year when he was seriously injured on the opening stage of the Tour of Poland after crashing when uh, Dylan Grunewagen kind of ran him into the barriers and then he hit. Uh, well, he hit the barriers and then the ground and, uh, yeah, badly injured his face, had several surgeries, but he is back on the bike and as of, uh, the 11th of April returned to racing. So great news for Fabio Jakobsen. I'm sure, uh, it's been a great week all around for Dakota Quickstep having Jakobsen return to racing and Cavendish get that win. Uh, cool to see Jakobsen back relatively quickly from what was a really serious, uh, number of injuries. Before we move on to the next piece of news on the men's side, there was a couple of minor news items that happened on the women's side. One is that Ellen Van Dyke will not be racing Brabant's Appeal on Wednesday or Amstel Gold because she has coronavirus. She is the second Trek Segafredo rider to test positive for coronavirus on the women's side um, in the last couple of weeks, the first being Chloe Hosking. So... On in better news, Kashin Iwadoma has signed an extension with Canyon SRAM through the next Olympic cycle. Her contract was set to expire at the end of 2021. She will be riding for the team through 2024, which is awesome for the team. She's one of their best riders, and it seems that she really fits in there. She's really made that team her home. And um, it's great for a rider to have a stable environment where they feel safe through an Olympic cycle. It's pretty big that she would also get um, this long of a contract extension as well. We don't see it very often on the women's side or the men's side. I was going to say, we don't see that very often on the men's side either. So that's you know extra good news. Yeah, we very rarely see contracts that, that are this long. Actually, Remco Evenepoel just signed a massive contract extension as well. So I think it's becoming more common that we see contracts extended for, for more than three years, which is really cool. It, it's really interesting that in a lot of these cases, the, the contracts are extended to lengths that make you kind of pause and say, wait, I didn't realize the team was secured for that long. And I don't know that it is. In, yeah. the, Koenig's, in the Koenig's case, I mean, it seems like every year, Patrick Lefebvre at the end of the year says, yeah, I need money or this team's not going to go on. Uh, and then... In April, he signs Remco Evenepoel to a five-year deal, which was the longest deal a quick-step rider had ever signed in the history of the team. So I guess Lefebvre has money? Uh, or maybe he just knows that having Evenepoel contracted so long will help him convince sponsors down the road, hey, I have this potential multi-time Grand Tour winner on the team, so maybe you could throw me some cash and you can expect to see some podium shots with your team, with your company's name on it for five years of the future. It could be a little bit of a chicken and egg situation, um, but it is cool to see because the riders, I mean, the security of a five-year contract is obviously really good if you're a rider in a sport that does not have a lot of security. I, in Canyon in, uh, Stram's case, we knew that they have some kind of security on the team side because they've, they've signed Chloe Dygart through 2024 as well. So they now have two riders signed through 2024 but 
it is interesting because there are teams in the past. I mean, I'm thinking specifically Akeep Pali Ka last year that signs riders uh, without having the security of the team in place and the team folds. But I think that on the on the men's side, is I mean, I don't, I wouldn't ever see that happening with a team like Dakota Quickstep that has so many strong riders and has been around for so long. Um, I think that that's something we would more see within pro continental, continental, and and women's teams. Honestly, the whole, the whole Pat the further situation with him trying to find sponsor, claiming he's trying to find sponsors, always puzzled me because if anybody's ever been to Belgium, it's very much like the Basque region. Actually, there's a huge amount of independent huge companies over there. You just drive down any highway over there and it's industrial zone after industrial zone of random businesses that seem very big. And I, I do wonder if he talks quite a bit of, shall we say, BS, cobblers, with regards to sponsorship of the team or whether he's just trying to get more and more money, more and more interest, more and more um, headline news for the team. Because I honestly, I can't see him struggling with the, like you say, with the riders he's got and with the amount of industry in Belgium alone. The, 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 a Belgian team and Belgian fans, Belgian industry are never going to let a Belgian team go belly up. Is that a phrase you Americans use, belly up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got you. That's got lucky. You. <laughs> Put to pasture, <laughs> sent to the farm. Something Upstate. like that, yeah. The last bit of news on the women's side is that Cofidis, which has previously announced that they would be having, they would have a women's team in the future, has also announced the budget they have for that women's team, um, a one million dollar budget. One million dollars is. <laughs> I mean, we know how much like men make so that's <laughs> when i read that i laughed i mean it's it's awesome that they're they're gonna have a women's team and obviously women's teams take less money to run um there are less races and the teams have are a smaller size so they could pay the women the minimum wage um and still not need a budget as big without as many people to to employ, but say, so didn't Trek come in with like 1.5 million ish and basically so. snap up a huge amount of talent? Uh, yeah, I mean, the, you know, the more the more teams that come in with budgets in that range, the the more those salaries are going to go up because suddenly, you know, there's more than just like two or three teams that can afford all those top riders. So it's going to help. It'll it'll help the top of the uh, uh, the wage bracket. Uh, in the women's peloton for sure because there's suddenly going to be a little bit more competition for those riders absolutely yeah i think it's it on the women's side it's it's great i mean it's great to have another team that's coming in and is really confident in having the program that the women's peloton deserves um but the the number is still funny when you think about like we were just talking about dakota quick step like how much those guys make yeah, uh, could could budget a women's team <laughs> easily for a less good than women's one rider. Yeah, it's when you compare it to the men's peloton as well. It's probably the same budget as something like a, a good continental team or a poor pro conti team. Mm -hmm. Like I think it was Joe Laverick did an article not so long back talking about Brit the British uh, racing scene and the teams like 
JTL Condor, that's now defunct. They had a uh, eight hundred and fifty thousand uh, pound budget, I think, which is about a million euros. And you just think uh, the difference between the eyeballs you're going to get on a women's team and the eyeballs you're going to get on a continental team is just vast. Yet they're on, under the same same price bracket. All right, shall we move on to? Peter Sagan. Yeah, we should. I, all parties involved have kind of denied that this is a real story, but I think we should talk about it anyway because it's interesting and it's entertaining. And that, that's the criteria that I'm going to go with uh, for whether we should talk about it. So Peter Sagan, of course, out of contract at the end of the year. Been with Bora for several years now. And he will no longer be with Bora unless he re-signs uh, a new deal, unless he signs an extension with the team. And at the moment, not a lot of indication that that's going to happen. Um, they are talking, according to Ralph Denk, who runs the team. There's negotiations going on uh, about whether Sagan is going to stick with the team. But uh, at this point, no extension signed, and it seems like he's looking around. And last week, Lakeep reported that he, his agent has suggested uh, a possible kind of quick-step transfer. And this is a very interesting, this would be a very interesting outcome, because the kind of quick-step has a lot of classics riders. Already, uh, in case you didn't know, they are probably the best classics team in the world. They just won the Tour of Flanders. They could win the Tour of Flanders with a couple of different riders on that team to bring in a former Flanders winner to a team that has been a major rival of his for the last several years would be would be wild. And yet, seemingly possible because he's a specialized athlete, and of course, to kind of quick step rides their bikes. And the Lakeep report suggested that this could all hinge on whether Specialized wants to make this happen because Pierce guy makes a lot of money. Uh, he currently makes many, many millions of euros uh, to the tune of roughly, I think, five Hofidus women's teams. Uh, and I don't think he would be making that much if he were to sign a new deal, but he'd still be making a lot of money. And I think Patrick Lefebvre would not want to go out of his way to shell out several million euros for, Pat, for Peter Sagan unless Specialized came along and said, we will help finance the arrival of Peter Sagan. So that is, I think, what, what could bring this about. That's what the Keep was reporting, and it seems reasonable that that could happen. Uh, he is a huge marketing coup for anybody who signs him. Uh, regardless of his results, he is, he's a very popular rider who he generates the clicks, he generates the views, he gets eyeballs on your product, which is great if you're specialized. It's great if you're a Belgian flooring company. Uh, or a window company, whatever it is you want to sell, Peter Sagan is good for you. So it does make some sense, uh, although Patrick Lefebvre quickly kind of shut down the, the, the rumors saying, you know, basically people are kind of making this up. And so who knows? I have three things. I have three things. Uh, one, this feels like an attempt by his agent to just get more money. Uh, <clears throat> I think that seems like the most reasonable reason for all of this to be happening two i feel like there's already too many cooks in de kooning's kitchen uh potential bora kitchen joke there but i'm i haven't been able to come up with it so you know maybe someone tweeted at me someone it's it's there it's close three he's not as marketable as he once was and i say this because well frankly we have a lot of analytics because <laughs> we run a website that talks about a lot of different things and we have a pretty good idea what draws the eyeballs and what draws the clicks. And two, three years ago, basically anything you could write about Peter Sagan would 
would draw a sizable audience. And just this last year, actually really in the last like six months or so, that has changed. And all of a sudden we're putting Peter Sagan stories up that just aren't doing that well. They do fine, but they do sort of in line with other, you know, just sort of big name writers, right? Whereas he was sort of head and shoulders above everybody else for a while. I would say actually he does Carmen Adelig's perspective on our website. So, you know, granted N equals one kind of uh, study here. He draws less traffic than Watt Van Aert and Matthew Vanderpool at this point in time. Uh, you know, if either of those two do literally anything and you have their names in a headline, draws much traffic. If Peter Sagan does almost anything, put in a headline, unless it's controversial, doesn't drive that much traffic. So, you know, irrespective of his results of over the last couple of years, his sort of marketability, at least from my perspective, is waning. And so... Uh, I wonder how that will affect where he chooses to go, what he chooses to do. You know, maybe he just retires and becomes a gravel racer. You never know. Becomes a mountain biker. Moves to Truckee. He always spends a lot of time out there. Yeah, moves to Truckee, hangs out with Pete Stetna, goes gravel racing. Possible. (laughs) Not saying it's likely, likely, but it's possible. All right, then. What team would you like to see him go to? There we go. Yuskatel Yuskadi. Ooh. Mm. Wow, lovely. That would be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> Movistar? No. Bahrain? No. <laughs> no. AG2R. I'm not saying which team I would like to see him go to, but I could see that. Yeah, that, that does seem reasonable, Abby. I agree with that. Thanks, Dane. Who's that team again with all the sponsors? Like the 8 billion sponsors on their jersey? Androni, Androni Giacatoli. Yes, yes. He, should, he should go there. Gianni Savio. He speaks good Italian. I think he'd, he'd probably like it at Androni, and he might get a Giro bit if... Uh, if Vini Zabu gets 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 uh, suspended through the Giro, you know who knows. That's a good question, actually. Where would he? I do think that he's going to end up on a. He's you know he'll end up with specialized still, right? Uh, they pay a significant portion of his salary now. He's very tied in with that brand. I can't see any reason for him to step away from them. I can't see another brand stepping up to kind of grab onto him in the way that specialized has. So that doesn't leave a ton of options. Uh, basically, I think. Two, right? Is it two teams that they're sponsoring this year? Just De Kunik and Bora? Well, maybe at the world tour level, but you know, what about a continental level or the pro Connie level? There's all kinds of options down there. And of course, professional gravel racing. Yeah. We'll just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Before we get into the nerd nugget segment of today's episode, this week is also brought to you by Quadlock a strong and secure smartphone mount for your bike. Your smartphone is your most powerful tracking device. With Quadlock, you can use all the features of your favorite apps like Strava, Komoot, and so much more as you ride. Perfect for road, bikepacking, mountain biking, even commuting. Quadlock is quick and easy to attach and detach. Thanks to their secure dual stage lock, your phone is secure over the roughest terrain. Thank you so much to Quadlock for sponsoring this episode. For more, visit quadlockcase.net slash cycling tips. That's quadlockcase.net slash cycling tips. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. Okay. Nerd alert. It's time for this week's Nerd Nugget. James, what are we talking about today? In the one sense, we're talking about cars. Uh, Sort of talking about bikes. On the other sense, we're talking about Yet another instance when I have managed to make someone seemingly very upset with me. <laughs> because, so I, 
you know, I, I'm obviously, you know, one of the tech guys at Cycling Tips, but I also really look at car stuff a lot. I read a lot about car stuff. Uh, I'm kind of into cars. Um, and I was looking at a car website yesterday and there was a kind of like rehashed press release that came out from Volkswagen about, um, they do this like enthusiast series sort of thing where they basically seemingly like, like co-sponsor a bunch of one-off builds that, that various VW, like, I guess, influencers and builders and stuff do, um, basically just to showcase Volkswagen cars. And this one that I saw last night um, was sort of cycling themed. It, like, hold on, what what did it say here? It says something about. Um, it was based on a Volkswagen Tiguan, which is their like compact SUV thing, and um, this person set out to create a one of a kind model that demonstrates the versatility and agility of the Tiguan. Uh, and part of that was having a bike on the back. They put um, like an accessory rack on the inside where they had like you know hung their helmet and there's like they they built a hidden compressor into it and like it was sort of ostensibly kind of bike themed. Um, Kaylee's pointing to the picture of it if you're watching this on YouTube. Um, <laughs> but me, I mean, th this is literally what I do for a living. I saw this picture and I'm like, the first thing that sticks out to me is that bike is mounted on the rack backwards. You know, and, and this is not like a like a rules sort of thing. It's not like, a, oh, my God, the, you know, the valve stems aren't in the right spot because, yeah, as it turns out, the valve stems are actually in the right spot in the picture. Um, <laughs> so it, it's not. That's even better. That's so much better that they so, took the time to make sure the valve yeah, stems. Yeah. So, so this isn't like a this isn't like a rules or a fashion thing. It's a, it's a it's a, a, a safety thing, partially, and just like a like a primary function thing. And the bike is just on the rack backwards. Um, you don't want your so, bike to fall off the back of your car, basically. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't think the bike was going to fall off. I, I mean, it was probably not going to fall off. Um, but it was, right. nevertheless, <laughs> it, was not, it was not mounted on there incorrectly. So, of course, I, you know, posted a little snarky thing on Twitter about it. And, uh, and, and as of, I guess, last night or this morning or something, um, the, the, the VW influencer guy, this, uh, what's his name? Jamie Orr, I think. Uh, I, I feel kind of bad now because he's very upset with me now because he said that, you know, and, and rightfully so he was, you know, said he was trying to kind of do something kind of cool and kind of fun and positive. And he apparently is also a bike, a bike nut. And he was trying to kind of like pull in these two worlds together. And according to him and the, the valve stems being lined up were intentional. That was intentional because he said that he really was trying to like have everything lined up and, you know, he, he, he apparently kind of knew the bike was on there backwards, but he wanted to show it drive side out. Cause like, that's one of the rules of taking a, a good bike picture. Um, and it, it got me thinking, so Jamie, I'm sorry. I do feel bad because you're obviously very upset with me. You're probably not listening to this podcast, but he's if you are, he's probably just upset cause it's doubling down on being upset because his bike did fall off the back and then you've just <laughs> no, really it, upset him oh, and that, reminded that be, him about be, all them scratches and bent bars. But I mean, he, he partnered with Marin on this thing. Uh, and Chris Holmes, he's the marketing guy for Marin. I've known Chris for a long time, going back multiple companies and stuff. And Chris is also a, a Volkswagen guy. And that's apparently where he and Jamie met was at some Volkswagen event. So I think it's cool that these worlds are colliding. And I think it is... I think it's really admirable, and I think it's also really cool when anyone from sort of outside the bike world is trying to pull bikes into, you know, kind of get bikes a little bit more exposure to people who maybe might not be into bikes at all. But that being said, I mean, 
So I think if you are coming at it from the car world, then you might look at this and be like, oh, cool. That's a really cool car. And that's a seemingly a pretty cool looking bike in the back of that thing. Like maybe I should think about getting a bike. And in that sense, that sort of campaign or that sort of project would be really successful. But if you're coming at it from the other side, like I am, where I'm mostly a bike guy and kind of a car guy, then I'm looking at that and being like, this doesn't feel like authentic to me kind of, because like, if I really want to kind of nitpick, yes, the bike's on the back of the car backwards. It's like a, a trail bike. Uh, actually, I haven't looked ex into exactly what model it is. It's a, it's a Marin Alpine 2. Uh, I don't know if that's an Enduro or a trail bike. Anyway, it's, it's a full suspension mountain bike. But then inside the car, there's a built-in compressor and a road helmet hanging from inside that little accessory rack thing. And it just feels weird. So... Yeah, like, I don't know, like, I guess if you're coming at it from a car guy, then it's fine. But if you're coming at it from a bike guy, then it's, it feels weird. But is that, does, should that matter? If the, if the greater purpose is to kind of like meld those th two things together and to expose non-bike people to bikes, would anyone care? Are you asking whether, like, whether the ends justify the means here? Like, kind of, does, yeah. Does the end result of putting bikes in a place where people might come in contact with them that wouldn't normally come in contact with them? Is that worth getting, I mean, I'm sorry, but like a bunch of things very sort of strangely wrong, right? Like I'm looking at this photo that's sitting behind me if you're watching the YouTube. Uh, if you got that car up to any sort of speed, that front wheel would just be flopping all over the place. I mean, uh, it's, it's off center in the picture. You can see that it's like, like turned to the right just because the front wheel is not cradled. Right. So like the front wheel, normally you'd put in a big long cradle so that it can't pivot because it's on a it's on a bearing it's on a headset right so like eventually that would break right if you drove on that if you drove that on the highway for at 70 miles an hour for long enough you would probably just snap that plastic strap that goes over the front wheel because it would be getting battered to heck uh the entire time so like there's some things that are wrong about this that are probably frankly dangerous and and certainly you don't want to lose the bike off the back of your car that would be uh sad for everybody but particularly sad for, you know, the person that might hit behind you or something like that. The rest of it, the helmet, the whatever else things that are kind of a little bit more wrong, but more in kind of a fashion sense. Those are more I like, think, those are more like esoteric. Yeah. Like we don't, we don't care. We don't really care about those things. Uh, long story short here. I, I tend to think that anytime you can put bikes in sort of mainstream advertising, I think that's a good thing. And I think back to like, remember when Subaru used to give you a bike? when you when you buy certain subarus uh and this was kind of peak like cross-country mountain bike norba this is like early 2000s i think and the reason they were doing that is because at the time mountain bikes were viewed as this super cool thing and that's really what we want right we want bikes to be viewed as a super cool thing that maybe you get on top of that you want on top of your car uh i if this is a step in that direction then i'm all for it but that said like you know, let's can we can we get the details right? You know, like car people, if you showed up and did, I don't know what the equivalent for car people would be. If you showed up and uh, wing mirrors slided in. Yeah. Not, yeah. You're like driving around. You're, you're driving around with, I don't know, your door, your back door open. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know what the, <laughs> the car people would be like, no, that's you shouldn't drive around with your back door open. And that's basically what we're saying right now. Uh, Yes, the ends, I think, do tend to justify the means in these things. But can we just get the details right? It's not, it's not that hard. Uh, if Volkswagen would like to get in touch you know, with an entity that will definitely get the details right, 
we can figure this out for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it it just pains me a little bit because like I can I can see the intent of this, and I think the intent was was I, it was was worthwhile. Like I think it had I think they had good meaning behind this, but to 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 combine that intent with such kind of like this egregious mistake which again is kind of a safety thing like you know this person wrote to me and said like you know like it was only driven like 500 feet or something to you know for the photos or whatever like mm, well yeah but people that go buy this tuli rack gonna, now are gonna, gonna are think gonna, it's okay are gonna google it and be like oh that's how you put it on and it's yeah. not, <laughs> it's not yeah. how you put it, it comes on. it comes with instructions kaylee generally and personally like, it took me you have a more beat faith or, in humanity than i do shoddy <laughs> it, it took me a beat or two to realize what James was getting angry about when I saw his tweet this morning. I was like, oh, here we are, angry Asian, getting angry again. And I was like, <laughs> it took me a beat or two. And then I noticed it and I thought, for the majority of people, even cyclists who see this, whether it's on their, on their social media feed, you're generally doom scrolling. It's, that is just an image. I don't think that like, I come out from the completely opposite side of point yeah there's that safety aspect and there's going to be a few people maybe who see it and go yeah that's dangerous that's how you mount like james but for the majority of people they're just gonna it's a nice picture yeah doom scrolling they're gonna look at it for all of about three seconds and move on and let's be honest if volkswagen were trying to be drag people cyclists in to say look we know what you cyclists are like then the car would be worth a lot less than the bike. It would be like an old <laughs> Golf from 1995. Right. There'd be rust all over it. Like, yeah. 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 I mean, Bikes, 15 grand, cars worth 500. <laughs> I mean, Sh- Shadi, in your defense, I mean, they don't have really those styles of racks that much in, in Europe in general. Um, they do have hitch racks, but, you know, they're usually mounted on like a little, the little ball receiver thing. Yeah. And like they don't, you don't have that many of those styles of racks where you have like that single arm that's supposed to go over the front wheel. They're just not as popular over there for whatever reason. So yeah, I mean, a lot of people looking at it, depending on the regions, they're going to look at that and not really think anything of it because they're not used to those racks. But again, like, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I called out in this tweet that's like, you know, hey, Volkswagen, like if you were looking for, you know, trying to gain some credibility in the bike world, like that might, might've missed the mark a little bit. Um, but yeah, so I mean, maybe I was a little harsh on the guy. Maybe I was a little harsh on the whole thing in general. But it, it's it's like I said, it still just pains me because like it, it, here's again this sort of like opportunity missed to sort of like really blend these two worlds together, and it just it kind of fell flat a little bit and just bummed me out. And um, Ke- Kelly, just to just to back up a little bit, the this is not the first time Volkswagen has blended bikes and cars at all. I mean, back in the '90s, they used to have the Volkswagen Jetta Trek. And that yep. car came with, they did two, two versions of it, actually, like two generations of it. And that car came with a roof rack and came with a bike on it in, in collaboration with Trek. It was a special edition Volkswagen Trek mountain bike. Which so, is super cool. Yeah, yeah, I mean, so it was, uh, I mean, so they have a history of doing this. And I just kind of wish it was a little more authentic feeling. I mean, that's what we want, right? Like that we want, we want car companies to view our little weird world as something worth tapping into and a group of people worth talking to. Right. And obviously Volkswagen does again. James, we were actually we were invited to a Volkswagen like car launch. What, like four or four years ago or something like that? We did. We did. And I'm clearly never, ever going to get invited to another one again. I should point that out. No, because both of us were like, what are we supposed to be doing here? (laughs) 
<laughs> it was very strange. There were a bunch of like social media influencers, influencers and stuff there who just, it, it was a very strange mashup of people. Yeah, it was the two of us and then just a bunch of like mommy bloggers and social media influencers. And we felt a little bit out of place, uh, a little bit confused as to the purpose of our of our being there. Yes. And and sort of in conclusion for me, I like the sentiment. I like the fact that Volkswagen is paying attention to bikes. I want more you know, buy this car and get a mountain bike style collaborations. I think that that stuff is fantastic, but just get the details right. I mean, we're talking about a really big company. There are cyclists who work at Volkswagen who probably could have, you know, glanced over this and been like, that doesn't look quite right. That's all we ask. Just get the details right. Indeed. I have a thought on this, actually. So I don't know where the rules of taking a picture of a bike originated. But I have a real problem with the rules of taking a picture of a bike and having it to be drive side and the crank has to be a certain way and the valves have to be a certain way and the logos of the tires have to be a certain way. I just got professional photos of my fact, my brand new factor taken. I can't put any of them on social media because none of them are the proper way to take a photo of a bike. Because it was anyway. like me, hey, Abby, me yes, and Jojo you, Harper. Yes, you no, can. No, because put those I know that people are gonna, people are gonna be like all over me well, about how you, you the can, valve stems are in the right place. You can do that. No, but, but just put, just post the pictures with a little comment and saying like, "Yes, I know the valve stems are not in the right place. Suck on it. It's still a cool bike." <laughs> but but I just but the reasoning behind this bike being in the wrong position is because he wanted it to be the proper way that you take a photo of a bike, drive side out. So where did these rules come from and why do we have to adhere to them? And can we please just take photos of bikes as they are when you put them against the wall? Like, why why do we have to make sure that everything is all perfectly placed? I mean, I, I get to some extent some of the rules behind like, you know, bike positioning, because some of those rules do just make the bike kind of like more aesthetically pleasing in the photo. Um, a lot of it does kind of go you know, it, it does kind of go over the top, like the valve stem thing, like, you know, having the. The, the drivetrain and the right gearing and stuff like that. Like, and, and I will freely admit. There's I a mean, right gearing? Oh, God. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 will, I will freely admit that, I mean, I, I make a point of sticking to all these rules because this, I mean, this is my job and I don't want people to, you know, come at me and be like, you know, and be like, you know, hey, your valve serves the wrong spot. Like, you know, you're in the, you're in the small chain ring, blah, blah, blah. Sometimes like, I do it just to annoy people. Right. Like, oh, my God, there's a, there's a saddlebag on there. Heaven forbid. Um, but yeah, I guess this is one of those examples where like an effort to adhere by those rules kind of overruled sort of like the basic premise of how that bike should be functionally mounted on that rack. So it's just like, again, it's just, it's just a bummer that, that it could have been like this super, super cool thing and just didn't quite get there for me. Look at this. The guy who's ph photographed it hasn't won either way, has he? We're complaining that the bike's around the wrong way. I know, I know. It's, <laughs> he's just trying to do a good job. And like I said, he's going to be super mad at me. <laughs> I, I think we should just do away with all of these these wonky rules about how to take a photo of a bike. I get it when it comes to like a professional photo of a of a bike that is done by the company that made the bike or like you, James, you're a tech tech editor. But me and Kaylee, well, Kaylee's different, I guess, but <laughs> like... We're just people out there riding our bikes. I don't I don't want the internet to come at me because I didn't put my valve stems in the right place. Right. That that's you why know? there's a little little middle finger emoji ready for you to use in response to anybody who comes at you about your valves being in the wrong place. I'm not that aggressive. 
Ab, do what I do. Just, just. It takes a bit of learning, but don't listen to negative comments. It took took me a while due to the YouTube comments, but <laughs> <laughs> you, you 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 slowly get used to it. No, but I don't even think it's like I don't even think that it's about the comments. I think it's more about this view about road cycling that we're all kind of like stuck up and you'll get made fun of if you have the wrong sock height. I put this into the same category as like, just loosen up. Like it's, they're just bikes. Although here I do agree with you guys that 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 is unsafe. And I, and if someone copies it, 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 it would be a problem. So, um, in that sense, no. <laughs> well, I think, anyway, I, I think we should leave that as the final word. This little segment here, just Abby no. saying no. All right, so that is it for our episode today. Thank you so much for listening, and uh, thank you, James, for pissing people off on the internet. It really makes for great conversations on the podcast. <laughs> and if you want to check out any of the stories we talked about today, you can find them on cyclingtips.com. What a great, great website. website. Jinx. One, two, three, we'll four, five, six, seven, nine, ten. Nope. You can't talk now until I say your name three times. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. All right. See you next week, everybody. Bye. Bye.